everyone, I'm Lucy. I'm the founder of Secondhand Styling UK, an ever-evolving platform dedicated to the world of pre-loved fashion, encouraging people to shop, swap, and style secondhand. Now, did you know that the average person only wears 30% of their wardrobe, yet continues to pay £28 per week on clothes? We're on a mission to change their mindset, to not only better their wallet, their lifestyle, but also their individual impact on the planet, but do it in a way that puts the fun back into fashion and makes it accessible to all. This podcast is for those of you that want tips, tricks, and inside secrets on how to make pre-loved look premium. It's for those of you that want us to get down and dirty with secondhand chat and cover all of the latest topics that has taken the business by storm. And it's for those of you that want a place to go to hear from voices that will help you feel like a million without needing a million. Secondhand chat helps guide you on where to source, how to source, and what you need to know about when it comes to the world of pre-loved fashion. Hi everyone, you're listening to Secondhand Chat and I'm Lucy. Now today's episode is a very special one because I got to interview a woman who I've admired from afar for a very long time and when she replied to my email and said yes she would come on to the show, I have to tell you I nearly fell off my chair. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Faye Delante. Hey everyone, you're listening to Secondhand Chat and I'm here with Faye Delante, who is a pre-loved chic pioneer. As eco-stylist for the Salvation Army in Australia, it's Faye's job to educate, empower and inspire consumers to think sustainability and act mindfully with their fashion and lifestyle choices. Faye works tirelessly to shift perceptions and transform how we see secondhand. Faye, it is so wonderful to have you on the show. It's so wonderful to be here, especially with a fellow Brit. I feel at home, even though I don't sound as cute as you, but it's so nice to be in in um, familiar territory. <laughs> well, when you replied and said that you'd be up for the interview, I thought to myself, oh, wow. First of all, I can't believe that she's actually replied. And second of all, when we started speaking and you had mentioned, you know, your sort of locations being the UK and New York, we kind of discovered that there is a lot in common. Um, oh. Also... I found that it was very interesting that your mom and dad had a big impact on what secondhand and vintage meant to you, which is similar to my mom and how she inspired me. So tell us a little bit about your childhood and the impact that they had. I love that you bring that up because I wonder if that's sort of something to do with that magical time in London, you know, in the 70s, like King's Road, like Portobello Road, like just that whole kind of iconic time of Vivian Westwood, you know, coming into being and the Sex Pistols and just that whole kind of punk movement and, I don't know, vintage was just, you know, everything. And I think my parents just really instilled in me the power of story in the clothes that we wear and really connecting to that. And I remember being a little girl and, you know, my kind of playtime was to go to charity shops and um, antique stores and, you know, these kind of um, vintage havens with my parents. And we came out to Australia when I was, I think I was about one and a half. So I didn't get to kind of know London and England until I was much older. But I think they brought so much of the essence of of that city with them and the story of style from there. And they just 
just bestowed me with all of this magical wisdom and story about fashion and fashion, you know, artisan culture and just, oh, it's so much goodness, you know, to this day that it just really fires me up. And so it's such a big part of my DNA. And when I was writing my book, I said to my dad, you know, was was vintage like kind of, a, you know, were you sort of perceived as kind of different or like a bit of a hippie because you were wearing secondhand things? And he said to me, no, if you didn't wear vintage back then, you weren't cool. Like vintage was it, you know, like it was just what all the rock stars were wearing and it was just everybody was connected to to where their clothes came from and it just felt so magical to hear that. So, yeah, they've had a huge, huge influence. I could go on all day, but absolutely, really influential. And I think the stories behind what we wear uh, are now really playing a part in the world of consumerism because we do want to know not just when it comes to secondhand and vintage, but anything that we're buying into, what is the story? What's the messaging? Who is the brand? Um, And also the story behind the content, which I think is so great in how you put together all of the content that you share online. Um, Anyone who watches, it's not just about trying on different looks, which we see a lot of in social media, which is great and it's quick and it's bite-sized. However, there is also um, a lot of storytelling in the content that you produce which I think is the next layer and it kind of elevates what we're watching which I love to see but I was interested to find out that um, this storytelling and this presenting is actually something that you were doing way before um, your work with uh, Vintage and Secondhand. You were a TV presenter presenting a successful Australian show Totally Wild mm-hmm. Um Tell us a little bit about what happened after that and what caused you to go traveling, because this is where vintage and secondhand started to really become part of of what you were going to do next. Yeah, I started my first job in television when I was 15. And I love that you bring up storytelling because that is my life. I've, I've just always been a storyteller and I definitely get that from my father uh, and my mum in a different way, in a crafty way, but my dad absolutely in a words and a lyrical way and and in an art and culture way. Um, but Totally Wild was all about telling stories to kids, animals in the environment, and really instilling that connection to planet. And even way back then, you know, I think it was just always in my DNA. And so I did that show for 10 years and then I just really became curious about where I was from and what my hometown was like and I just really wanted to go to London and be there and be amongst everything that my parents had, you know, told me about. But I knew that I wanted to keep telling stories and I knew I wanted it to be with fashion. I just didn't really know what that looked like yet and I never really set out to choose sustainability, it just kind of chose me because it was always of my essence, I guess, because my parents were always surrounding us with it. You know, it was in the clothes that we wore, the the pieces in our house, you know, we had antiques and everything had a story. You know, every time we would go to antique stores, dad would tell me about, well, this lamp is from the 20s and it's magical because of this. And so that storytelling has just never, ever ever left me. And so now it's kind of become, I'm back in that presenting role, but not in a traditional sense. Um, And I just feel so driven to continue to tell the stories, but it's absolutely about, you know, 
education and inspiration as well because I think sustainability is a big word and it has many layers and it can be quite overwhelming for people to know what to do and what that means. So really it's my job to help you with that and to educate you and inspire you and encourage you. Um, So, yeah, the storytelling is everything. I love it. Well, when you think about the word sustainability, a lot of the time you don't pair it automatically with luxury. So when we're thinking mm-hmm. about luxury brands, you know, how can they be sustainability? There's lots of questions. And like you said, sustainability is such a loaded word and it's also extremely yes. complex. But what I think is great about your content is that you're showing us how to take something that is pre-loved and make it look premium. You know, uh, how mm-hmm. do you create that designer inspired outfit? And it's great what you do. How did this come about from your days of traveling? Um, I read a quote when it were you were referring to necessity. Um, so how did that kind of fuel your direction <laughs> of styling? I was definitely a girl of of um, excess. So, you know, growing up and in my kind of early 20s, I wasn't even really thinking about sustainability. I was just thinking about fashion <laughs> and, you know, having a mu- as much of it as I could and and you know adorning myself um and and so when i went overseas um i bought so many things with me and i ended up having back problems and you know carrying and lugging all this stuff that i was only wearing like 30% of and i just in in all honesty i just pardon my French, really got the shits with myself and i was like why do i have all this stuff who am i trying to impress why do I think I need all this stuff? And it sort of became an intervention and and this necessity that I just don't need all this stuff. And also I was traveling, I was on a tight budget. So the thrifting became essential then, you know, it was always playtime. But then when I was overseas and I was trying to stand on my own two feet, I didn't have a lot of money. So it became a real necessity. But because I grew up with parents who were very into beautiful things and we always had stacks of Vogue magazine in the house and they were my fairy tale books. I was always very attached to the luxury and the kind of abundance of it all, um, minus the price tag, just really the sort of expression of it, I guess. And I just thought if I can't afford it, why does that mean that I can't be as cute or why can't I be as fabulous as the girl next to me wearing Gucci? I'm going to make it look like Gucci. So it was just this kind of really organic, natural process of me just wanting to glamify the things that I had, I guess, and then it just took on a life of its own. Um, And I think, you know, we're visual creatures and I can talk to you about sustainability, but unless it looks cute, you're not really going to want to wear it, right? Like whether you're kind of a very big you know girl into fashion or you're a you know kind of more alternate person we all have a look and we all have an aesthetic and we all want to look and feel good so I think it's really important to show people that it's not second best that it's not this kind of you know inferior product it's just as beautiful and in fact it's even more beautiful because it carries such a mission and a purpose and that to me is true luxury really when it's serving and and you know being of service definitely I don't know if you agree with this but I find that um because I spent 15 years in New York and I lived in London and I've traveled a lot that 
I was definitely inspired by different cities, different cultures, and and I love to play with my fashion depending on where I am and what I'm doing and who I'm with. Like I, I don't have a set style as such. Um, did you find the same when you were traveling? And and how do you think that the style varies from New York to London, for example? Travel has had a huge influence on my style, absolutely, and. I was thinking about the difference between New York and London and it's it's interesting because they are two such different cities but I think the the self-expression and the ability to just wear whatever the hell you want is really prevalent in both of those cities you know like I can wear whatever the hell I want in New York and I sometimes still feel underdressed <laughs> you know and then but it also depends on what pockets you're in, right? So if you're in, if you're in like, you know, the, the West Village, you know, in New York, it's kind of almost a little bit more sort of highbrow and preppy, right? But then if you go to the East Village, you've got this kind of like grungier, like, you know, cool kind of edge to it. And same if you go to Brooklyn, you know, but then in London, if you're in Mayfair, that's very highbrow and that's very well-to-do and there's lots of suits and the women are very well-dressed. But then if you go to Brick Lane, you've got this, like, just melange of, like, so many different subcultures and, and people just dressing in different styles, like everything from punk to prep to, like, cyber princess to, like, you know, teddy boys. Like, there's just everything. And you do not see that in Australia. You just really don't. Like... Sydney tries, but it's just not the same. And I think I identify with both cities for that reason because of that just, uh, you know, that sense of abandon and that sense of just, you know, self-expression. But it, I, I, do you agree that it really depends on what part of each city you're in in terms of, like, if you're in, you know, the kind of middle of Manhattan or if you're downtown? It's a totally different vibe. Completely. No, I agree with you. What inspired you to write your book, Op Shopulence? Do you know what? I never set out to write a book. It kind of found me. And I know that sounds a bit weird, but it's I pre-pandemic, I was traveling a lot with work and I I'm a meditator, so I meditate twice a day. And and whenever I meditate, quite often I can get a download, an idea. That's where a lot of my video ideas come to me. That's where, you know, thoughts and kind of new concepts will come to me. And so I went through this phase where I was getting these downloads and I thought they were blog posts. And so I would write them down and quite often it would happen on aeroplanes and I would write them in my phone and just keep them there. And then I started looking at them and I'm like, these are really long blog posts. No one's going to want to read this. This is like a lot of information. <laughs> so I just kind of parked it for a while. And then there was about a month or so where people just kept saying to me, you should write a book. Have you thought about writing a book? Why don't you write a book? I'm like, I'm not going to write a book. That's crazy. And again, I just parked it. And then the pandemic happened. And so I thought I can sit here in the corner and cry or I can do something with my time. And so I dived into all those notes and ideas that I had and I feel like I went to Thrift University because I just researched my behind off and I learned so much and then I was like yeah I'm gonna write a book because it just felt right mm -hmm. and I also just felt like it was 
my responsibility in some way to help people make that shift uh, to thrift, you know, and, and to a more conscious way of dressing because I think the pandemic was really pivotal in the sense of just the way we dressed changed, the way we felt about the things that we wanted and needed changed as and it certainly needed to, you know. So I think it felt very timely, uh, but it also felt like a divine appointment to Mother Nature in a lot of ways. I just felt like it was my it was my gig to do it. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of our listeners are going to want to get their hands on that book. So what's the best way to be able to to get a copy? You can just head to opshopulence.com and it's available globally. It's on Booktopia, um, Book Depository, Amazon. Uh, you can grab it via my social media as well, but it's it's pretty easy to find. Um, and, yeah, I'd love you guys to read it. I think it's had some incredible feedback and I'm really proud of that. People are, It's helping people make that shift, you know, or, or kind of reigniting that passion for secondhand and seeing it in a different light. So, yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Definitely um, now more than ever, as people are trying to save as much as they can budget, they're working mm-hmm. with, you know, <clears throat> funds and there is something to be said about how fashion can make you feel. You know, you mentioned the pandemic and I was by myself um, throughout lockdown and every day I would get up and I would put together an outfit because it made me, obviously I wasn't going anywhere, but it's this idea of clothes can really create that feel good factor and they can set your mind. Um, they ha- it's, you know, it's not just about, you know, the industry and the aesthetics, it, it really has a big impact. Now, there's actually a scientific theory about that and I talk about it in my book it's called enclosed cognition and it's actually a proven scientific theory that clothing changes the way we feel or has an effect on our mood it's fascinating google it enclosed cognition um and that's and when I was writing my book and doing my research I was really musing on exactly what you said like why do I have some clothes that just make me feel amazing? Why am I hanging on to ones that make me feel like crap? Like what's going on here, you know? And and like you, during the pandemic, I absolutely got up and got dressed. I put on a red lipstick, you know, I did whatever I can to change the way I felt. And, yeah, I discovered that it's actually like a scientific theory. There's two scientists that did a lot of research into it. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Just get a copy of the book and you can find That's out. That's it. In the book. <laughs> <laughs> a few questions just about the sort of industry of secondhand in the space because it is growing so fast mm. it's becoming extremely popular um and for people like you and myself you know it's always been part of our life it's not just a trend that we're jumping on it's it's how we've grown up it's what we do and it is wonderful to see that more and more people want to be involved and they want to purchase and that's great however one thing that has got me thinking is the fact that as this space continues to grow, how do we prevent it from becoming the next fast fashion? And I mean that because if we are not shopping with intention, it doesn't matter what we're buying, we're buying, we're bringing back and we're just putting it back into landfill rather than really being conscious about what we're doing. And, you know, you are seeing, I don't know if it's the same in Australia or in the UK, we have charity shops that are getting overfilled with fast fashion um and then someone's going in and they're saying oh okay well it's brand new it's from zara it's this price i'm going to buy it i don't know the reasons why obviously it's a donation blah 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 but my point being is if we're just 
continuing to purchase items that aren't necessarily good quality and we're only going to get one wear out of them is that not just as bad as buying fast fashion so what do you think how can we protect it that's such a great musing and and the reason I resonate with that is because you know I think when I really dived into thrifting for you know practicality and necessity reasons um I think initially, well, no, I think I know. Initially, I I did get very excited because everything was inexpensive, and I became what I call an eco hoarder. Mm. I was just replacing my fast fashion habit with a slow fashion habit, but I was behaving in the same way. So it took a really good check in, and you know, I didn't get it straight away. Um, I was definitely just doing the same thing and calling it sustainability, you know. So it really took some time for it to sink in for me. And again, a divine intervention in the sense of, you know, traveling. And also then when I came back to Australia, living in a small apartment, not having a lot of space, people think I've got a big wardrobe. It's tiny and and it's deliberate that it's tiny. And, and if it gets too full, I get overwhelmed. I can't handle it. So I ask myself questions like, do I really need this? Do I have something like it? Could I customize what I've already got? Could I borrow it from somebody? You know, how many times am I going to wear this? How many different ways can I wear this? Do I feel good in it? Does it suit my body? Does it suit my lifestyle? Because, you know, you can buy 20 pairs of heels, but if, you know, you're a mom running around after six kids, how often are you going to wear those heels? You know, like it's not practical for you. And so I just, I do really try to be, as you say, intentional and ask myself those questions. And then I encourage the community to ask themselves those questions as well, because they're powerful. Once you just stop for a second and not feed into that beast of consumption, it's amazing how little you need. So yeah, that check-in is valuable. And then moving forwards, what ways do you see brands working with, um, you know, the the secondhand uh, space or secondhand platforms? Like what sort of collaborations do you expect to see and, and how can they work alongside as opposed to working against? Because there is something where, you know, I don't, I'm not speaking for you. I, I'm just going to say from my point of view, I'm not anti-new. I'm just about buying new with intention and having something that could be someone else's secondhand. Um, yeah. But with brands, they may see um, secondhand advocates or secondhand platforms as a little bit of a um, a competitor or, you know, a challenge. Mm-hmm. What do you think are ways in which they could work together as a partnership to help fuel the future of fashion? That's such a good question. I think, think you know and it and the secondhand market will take over i mean it's it's really it's really growing and it's growing rapidly and it's it's gone from you know i think people are really understanding now that it's not just this sexy notion it's not a trend it's something that we have to do otherwise we're not going to have anywhere to live we're going to blow up the planet you know like it's it's at that point so i think really it's Brands have to ask themselves the overarching question of, you know, well, what's what are your values? Like, what's your ethos? What, why do you have this brand? You know, the future of fashion is sustainable, and we have to really work together. And nobody's perfect, you know. It's it's about progress. It's not about perfection. And brands will get it wrong, and we'll get it wrong as individuals. But I think if we all hold that collective 
idea and that mission to just want to do better and really think about what we've got. And we have so much in existence. The first thing I would say is stop making so much new stuff, you know, like we don't need it. There's so much vintage in existence. There's so much fast fashion in existence that could be upcycled, recycled, reinvented. So let's look at innovation and let's, you know, I think collaboration is the future as well whether it's working brand to brand or brand to individual or brand to influence or whatever it may be, um, it's really got to be this is what we have to do. Otherwise, where are we going to go? And something we speak about at Secondhand Styling UK is celebrating those clothes that already exist, which is why we encourage the swapping, whether you swap on our website Mm -hmm. or whether you come to one of our swapping events. Um, Someone who I would absolutely love to swap with would be yourself, Faye. So what are your thoughts on swapping? (laughs) I think swapping's great. You know, I think anything that falls under the banner of mindfulness, whether it be swapping, whether it be thrifting, whether it be, you know, shopping pre-love luxury, whether it be reselling, I'm for all of it because the mission for me is to keep it out of landfill, right? So, you know, even if it is a fast fashion piece that you've thrifted, if you're going to wear it and you love it, wear it and love it, you know? And and I think there's so much to be said for swapping because you see somebody else's clothing in a different light and they might not have thought of that. So it feels new to you. And I think it's a really fun thing to do. I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's wonderful. I would love to swap with you. It's a shame we don't live closer. <laughs> well, I'm thinking to myself, when you next make a trip to the UK, we have to have drinks and you need to yes, attend one of our swapping events. <laughs> Sign me up. And I'm actually, I'm really keen to get back to the UK this year. So I'll definitely keep you in the loop. Sounds good. Yeah. Hey, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, and I really mean this. I think you're fantastic. Everything that you're doing, um, listeners, do go ahead and follow Faye and check out all of her content. Again, Faye, how can they find out more about you and be part of your secondhand journey? Thank you for asking. Yeah, please come and join me. I'm at Faye Delante on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. Um, I have a blog called Fashion Hound, which is named after my dog. Um She's no longer with us, but she was called Soho, as in Soho in London, because that's where my parents met. Um, but, yeah, so you can find me there and you can find me at upshopulence.com. That's my little baby there. Um, come and say hi and join the community because it's a total vibe. We have people from all over the world, as as you know, Lucy. So it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. Excellent. Faye, thank you so much and look forward to chatting with you again soon. You too. I hope that you enjoyed that chat as much as I did. It was an absolute pleasure speaking to Faye. I really enjoyed finding out more about her upbringing, the things that we had in common, how she's gone and forged a path for herself within the world of secondhand fashion. And again, something else that we had in common, which was we want to do better when it comes to what is next in the world of secondhand. Please stay tuned for our next episode. And until then, you can follow us at Secondhand Styling UK.